I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. And it's good to see everybody this morning. I want to acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from Portland, which is land of the Multnomah, Wasco, Cowlitz, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Bands of Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, and many other tribes who made their homes and continue to make their homes along the Columbia River. A way to acknowledge with respect the people who've come before, which is appropriate, and the inheritance um, that we have come to um, coming off of an ancestor session. That's where Fuho is, and I'm filling in for him. And Fuho and Soten co-led this ancestor session. So we learned about some of our Zen ancestors, including Joe Kobeck and Maizumi Roshi. It's wonderful to uh, really have a look at where, where we've come from and the richness that, that we inherit in our practice. Um, but also having come from a um, Sashin myself, can't help but also uh, learn about Zen and our own relationship to thoughts. So I will talk about that as well. And uh, I'd like to just frame this whole conversation, this whole talk with a metaphor by another Zen teacher, not from our direct lineage, but um, not too far from it. And the metaphor is uh, opening the hand of thought, opening the hand of thought. Uh, This is a metaphor that was coined and used by Kosho Uchiyama. There's a book by the same name. Kosho Uchiyama lived from 1912 to 1998, and he was transmitted teacher transmitted by Kodo Sawaki, also known as Homeless Kodo, not because he was homeless, but because he traveled around and taught, didn't have his own temple necessarily. Uh, Kosho Uchiyama and Homeless Kodo offered a very strong lay tradition And Uchiyama was a writer. He was an origami master, also wrote quite a few books on the practice of origami. And he did uh, sashin, what he called without toys. Straight up sashin, days and days of just meditating, facing the wall, everyone facing the wall, including him. So there was not even a teacher to be monitoring how you're doing. Didn't want to make any self or other in it everybody responsible for their own practice. Facing the wall, no chanting, no talks, just zazen and kinhin, three meals, 30-minute break after each, ma- after each meal from 4 a.m. to 9 p.m. That's it. So uh, pretty uh, stark practice. And his contemporary living heir is Shohaku Okamura, who is also a writer and translator. So this opening the hand of thought 
occurred to me during the Sashin practice and really kind of guided my practice this week. Um, thoughts have their place. Thoughts have utility. And yet we are easily confused. So I just want to talk about this, our the role of thought in our practice and how we often confuse our conceptual reality for reality. Our mind's own ability to categorize, to label, to opinionate, to judge uh, is also often compared to a dream. That's another very common metaphor in our practice, that we're living in a dream. A more contemporary comparison might be that it's like living in a Zoom background. It may seem very interesting or pretty, but it's not real. Our thinking creates a story, a story about I, me, and mine. And we're fully convinced of this story and live in this story very often, like living in a fishbowl. Living in our thoughts is like the closed hand. So right now, if you can, if you're able, close your hand into a fist as tight as you can. And if you can't close your hand into a fist, maybe close your eyes really tightly. How long can you hold it like this, do you think? How long would you be able to hold it like this before you got tired? And how useful is it? It might be useful for some things, but ultimately... It's only useful for a limited amount of things. And if our eyes are shut tight, there's only so much we can do. Indeed, it's exhausting. So go ahead and open that hand and feel that sensation of opening the hand or opening the eyes. And just notice the Flexibility. Uchiyama Roshi says, I use this expression, opening the hand of thought, to explain as graphically as possible the connection between human beings and the process of thinking. Thinking means to be grasping or holding onto something with our brain's conceptual hand. If we open it, what is in our hand falls away. He adds, our true self includes that which lets go. So he's not vilifying this hand of thought. It's included. It's part of us. It's just not the whole truth. It's not the whole self. Not the entire view. He uses sleep as an example of times that we have all opened the hand of thought. Our body, heart, breath all function when we're sleeping. When we wake up, our thoughts begin to function again, and we pick up the idea of who we think we are. Uchiyama also was a student of Western philosophy, and he says that the self of Western psychology is the Cartesian, I think, therefore I am. But actually, we are whether we think so or not. Uh, 
Behind the conscious self is a force that works even when we are sleeping, a force that works even when we are unconscious or unaware. Our true self, our whole self. So our direct experience before our, th- our thoughts start boiling it up, our thoughts fry up our direct experience, he says, it starts the human thought cooks up everything, processes everything, until sometimes it's unrecognizable, like overprocessed food. Like Cheetos. I mean, what were Cheetos? Were they corn? What does that what do Cheetos have to do with cheese? Anything? Is there anything in nature like this? And yet, they are addictive, just like thoughts. (laughs) If we're unable to open the hand of thought, we can get trapped in a fundamental argument with reality, the idea of how it should be versus how it is. Closed hand, closed fist, closed mind, closed heart. So we practice. We practice to rest, to open the hand of thought, to open the heart, to receive the world as it is. In our direct experience, we receive color, sound, sensation, breath, body, life, this moment. Zazen is like massaging the fist open, or sometimes it's like a surgical intervention. These interventions should be careful, however. And I just want to share a kind of dilemma that seems to present itself in saying anything about Zen. And we have the absolute and we have the relative, and a focus on one seems to neglect the other sometimes. So when we hear these very useful teachings of dropping the story or don't reach any conclusions, these offer us a much larger view and they are incredibly powerful and incredibly helpful. And yet, I'd like to bring in the voice of another teacher from a different lineage, Zenju Earthland Manuel. She shares from her lived experience of gender, race, and sexuality as a black woman who she says identifies as a bisexual at heart and who has lived in lesbian relationships for much of her life. She's also a Zen teacher. And in her book, The Way of Tenderness, she shares in her search for how to address the pain and rage that she felt as a result of the various forms of oppression she experienced and experiences. She wanted to find a liberated tenderness. And in the practice of Zen, hearing the suggestion to drop the labels, that attachment to some idea of self was the cause of her suffering. I want to share a little bit from her book, The Way of Tenderness. She said, it wasn't long before I discovered within the Zen Buddhist community the unspoken expectation 
that a spiritual person transcends notions of race, sexuality, and gender, and all other forms of embodiment. To speak of identity was a mark of being unenlightened. I was left to make my I was left on my own to make sense of ancient teachings in my life in this modern world. In the modern world, we are left to contend with hatred based on embodied differences and the histories that come with them. Am I to let go of the shared historical past of slavery, but continue to hold on to the uplifting shared histories or cherished lineages of the ancient spiritual communities of another? There is multiplicity in the spirit of oneness. This I knew in my bones. I felt like that was a particularly poignant passage in reference to our ancestor Sashin as we celebrate and focus on the ancestors of this lineage. we, We also acknowledge that there is a lot of other history that impacts us, that brings us to where we are. And that's relevant to acknowledging the land that we live on and the peoples who have been here, who continue to be here, and our nation's historical past and how it continues to be present today. How can we braid these together these absolute and relative teachings. She says, Although my teachers taught us the absolute truths of Zen practice, they seemed to negate identity without considering the implications that identity can have for oppressed groups of people. The critique of identity overlooks the emotional, empowering, and positive effects of identity on those who are socially and politically objectified. So, as we talk about opening the hand of thought, of enlarging our view, of questioning who we think we are, we must keep in mind that we have much to learn also from the multiplicity of voices emerging in this Dharma world, which is very exciting. We are not eliminating anything. We are including everything. I mean to say that uh, we must not apply any of these teachings in a way that is flat or simplified. Just open the hand of thought and your suffering will magically disappear. I mean, we can certainly find liberation. And, And it's for each of us to find for ourselves, to take responsibility for our practice in this way. These teachings must be alive. And not knowing is most intimate. As Hogan Roshi says, there is always more to see. But when our hand of thought is closed, or sometimes our hand of thought is covering our view, our thoughts can dull our experience of life. In this ancestor session, Fuho shared about his experience of practicing with Charlotte Joko Beck. She put the Four Noble Truths into these words. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, 
life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Joko Beck recommended a process of labeling thoughts, identifying core false beliefs that grip and strangle, and then holding these thoughts and core beliefs in awareness to change the relationship to them, to allow them to dissolve, to watch how our habits of thought obscure reality. So with that in mind, just a simple exercise of the work of this session and the work of our practice, this examination of relaxing the hand of thought. So one example from my practice, simply noticing a thought, for example, about someone I had some quarrel with years ago, noticing the same story, noticing the way I characterize them, and feeling this as a closed hand of thought, just realizing this is happening, and, and feeling this as closed hand of thought, a closed hand around this person and around me. And then just asking myself, can I open this? What if I open this hand and look and feel this present moment, this direct experience? Realize I have no idea where they are now. I have no idea who they are now. I have no idea what their life is like. I have no idea what they have been through. I'm just carrying around this story about them. This closed hand of daydreaming, noticing conversations I had years ago, noticing entire invented conversations that I might have or wish to have, rehearsing, replaying, dreamlike thoughts, experiencing them as this hand of thought and opening to what's here right now, right here the luminosity of this moment, of this life. And so much of our gripping is the stress and tension of self-protection, actual bodily survival, and some of us experience this precariousness and in reality in our actual bodies. And some of us, some of us it's more rooted in a protection of our idea of who we are. What do others think of me? That may feel like life and death. I recently went to the dentist and uh, I learned that um, along with uh, myself, apparently everybody they see uh, is grinding their teeth and has been for the past year of this pandemic. (laughs) They say to a person, everybody's having a little tooth sensitivity to cold these days. We might, with loosening this hand of thought, we might also loosen the jaw of thought. So, and I just want to mention to um, Taizan Maizumi Roshi, another teacher that Fuho practiced with, and our Roshis, our Dharma grandfather. Joko was one of his disciples, as were chosen in Hogan. And about Sashin, Maizumi says, in our practice, we hold Sashin, an intensive Zen retreat. Sashin means to join or unify the mind. It can also mean to put the mind in the place where the mind belongs. Of course, the mind is already unified or in the right place. But nevertheless, we practice in this way. How do you put your mind in the right place? Where is the right place? Right here is always the place. This place or space of right here extends endlessly through the ten directions, the whole universe. 
this limited space of right here becomes universal, the existence of the cosmos. It is not limited to a particular race, culture, or country. And right now is the time. The infinite time span from past to future is reduced to this very moment right now. Vice versa is also true. The moment of right now contains all the beginningless past and the endless future. It is universal. So to touch back into this, we practice. Sashin or not, we can practice and develop this habit of returning to the body, of opening the hand of thought. Mindfulness is kind of a misnomer. Our practice is really quite body-oriented. The body is not in a dream. The felt sense is present. And now, this breath. So when we practice this habit, develop this habit, opening the hand of thought, being present to what's really here, pointing our awareness at the projector of thought, questioning what we think we know, who we think we are. We open the hand of thought to reveal the oneness, the multiplicity, We're alive, alive together. Thank you.